The first step with uh, investing is knowing what you can afford to buy. So there's two things to that. What can you afford to borrow and what can you afford to hold? So um, on my website, I have a little uh, investment forecasting tool that um, I use personally. It shows you if you bought a property worth 500000 and you know a rental yield of 5%, how many properties can you afford to hold at the end of the day? Welcome to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel a leading weekly show to help you unlock your full self, health and wealth potential. I'm your host, Bushy Martin, and each week I go deep with the best investors, experts, leaders and founders to find out what it takes to break free from the grind, discover freedom and live by design. Subscribe now and join me and get invested in the life you really want. Let's get started. Hi, Freedom Fighters. What challenges are you facing as you enter the property market or try and secure your next property? Have you been asking yourself, where do I start? Who do I trust? What can I afford? What approach and choices will lead me to achieve my goals in the safest, easiest and most affordable way? If this all sounds familiar, then you're not alone and you're in the right place to overcome your fears and concerns. Because in today's episode of your Property Hubs Get Invested, we continue our special grassroots investor series, talking to hands-on investors who share their trials and tribulations and how they've managed to overcome them in order to achieve their lifestyle goals by investing in property. And while we're talking about this actual investor experience approach, if you or someone you know wants to share your unique property journey for the benefit of others here on Get Invested, just reach out to me personally at bushy at knowhowproperty.com.au. Now, as I stress repeatedly here on the show, Property is a game of finance and an elite team sport where you're not a player, but the owner of your independent professional team. And your key role is to manage your managers and ensure that they're all playing to your game strategy with your best interests in mind at all times. Unfortunately, however, when it comes to the critical importance of your finance structure and strategy to help you optimise your capacity while minimising your cost and risk, there's a lot of difficult to deal with and below average performing banks and brokers amongst over 40 lenders, 2,000 different loan solutions and nearly 11,000 mortgage brokers. This critical finance importance, yet poor underperformance, is the reason why I actually became an investment savvy finance broker many years ago. And it's the same reason why today's special guest investor, Andy Fernandez, has done the same. Like me, Andy's a borderless investor who has built a property portfolio across the country and has transitioned to finance breaking to overcome the multitude of lending hurdles in order to help you to better finance your property purchases and to guide you through the entire property finance process. As you're going to hear, we've got a lot in common. So I know we're going to enjoy a great conversation today. So welcome and let's get invested, Andy. Hi, Bushy. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. It's uh, great to be rubbing shoulders with both an investor and a finance broker, Andy. Uh, and you've been very generous in coming on. And I, I, you know, while we're talking about it, I want to thank PK Gupta uh, for introducing you. I've got a lot of time for PK. Uh, he's a really good operator in his own right. And any any friend of PK's is a friend of mine, Andy. So um, uh, welcome aboard. And uh, to, to sort of kick things off, Andy, I'd, I'd love for you to, to start talking to us about what you do differently and, and most importantly, why you do what you do. Yeah, so... Um, I mean, you could you could get finance from a bank and go out and buy a property, 
but then what's your long-term goal? What's the end goal and how are you going to get there? So at On Fire Finance, I try and help budding investors or people you know who have invested for a while, but they're looking to scale their investment portfolio. I help them with a, a bit of a plan and a bit of a strategy on how to get to their end goal. So it's not just about the next property, but it's how that next loan, how that next property fits into the overall end goal. So that's what we try and do here at Bonfire Finance. Yeah, I, I love it. It's, uh, it's starting with the end in mind, as I uh, often talk about. Uh, there's a, a lot of Australians who just don't take the time to think about exactly how they want to live and then work out how they're going to fund that lifestyle. I love the fact that you're, uh, you know, the, the finance, if you like, is the is the oil that, that lubricates the transaction. But uh, unless you know where you're going, you could end up anywhere. So sort of starting with that approach of getting some clarity around what that looks like and then giving them the tools to do that and then structuring the finance to help that is a is a is a quite a rare commodity in the industry, Andy. So uh, love the fact that you're doing that. Um sort of looking at where you are now and and where you started, I'd love for you to take us back over uh, your life journey so far and talk to us about where you've invested your time, your energy, your money over the years and why and how this has led you to what you're now doing. Yeah, so over the years, I've found that the most useful thing has been for me to invest in my own education. And I mean, I hate to uh, to rephrase Joe Hockey here, but getting a good job and earning good income, as bad as it sounds, it is important, you know, yeah, to buy properties. You need you need an income, yeah. um, and I've not only income. It's also just educating yourself. That's the main thing I've found. Whether it be upskilling yourself in your employment or just learning about property, it can be you know through forums, books. There's so many um, ways you can uh, educate yourself and uh, make a start. That's the important thing to actually make a start after all of that. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely agree. Now I. I know from uh, you know some of the uh, background work that you were an accountant that transitioned to become a finance broker. Uh, what what was it that one led you to be an accountant, uh, firstly, and then uh, what was then the reason for making that change from accounting to finance broking? It's actually a, a funny story because my um, growing up in an Indian family in an Indian household, my mom she encouraged me towards accounting the stereotypical role, because she just said, oh, it's a safe job. You won't have to deal with too many people. You can just do your work and, you know, you can sort of get by. And it was it was all right at the start. I did it and I got good at it. And I completed my, uh, my CPA qualification. But at the end of it, I just found myself much more interested in, in investing. And in accounting, I could, um, you know, I did all these profit and loss statements and financials for the company, but I couldn't see the end result of the you know the impact it had on people's lives and i think working as a mortgage broker i i can just see you know i helped a a 60 year old person buy his home after his divorce and that was such a good feeling that you know this person has somewhere to live or helping people with their investment uh, portfolios when they didn't have a plan or didn't think they could really achieve anything so that really drives me you know so work is not just work it's kind of you know, you do what you love every day. So yeah, that's the reason for me to transition. Yeah, I love that. It is, um, you know, to, to sort of move into accounting and to finance breaking to some degree, you, you've got to have some sort of a, a comfort or, or passion for numbers. 
was was that something that just came naturally to you from from very early years and therefore it was a, a natural thing to to go down that road uh, and in conjunction with that what, what was your early relationship with money and how has that influenced uh, how you've approached life since yeah i've always been someone who would uh analyze things i mean i i um i think my my wife actually caught me in the the cereal aisle examining two different cereals and checking out which one had more protein in it and which one had more carbs and she was actually watching me for 20 minutes to try and decide so yeah uh, analysis has always been something i've kind of enjoyed doing but at the same time um i feel like it's important that's why to have a bit of a system that also stops you from overanalyzing. So that's what I learned later on in my property journey. Um, in terms of um, how I started, um, you know, my relationship with money, I've kind of, I wouldn't say frugal, but I've been, I've been wise with uh, saving. I've always been a saver. I remember back in primary school, I, you know, I would get a couple of dollars every every day for my lunch. And I actually saved it up and I bought my grandmother a gold chain. So I've always been a bit of a saver. So that that's kind of helped. But I feel like it's it's something you can't force on yourself like like a diet. If you try too hard to to do like a temporary saving, then you're just gonna end up blowing it up eventually. So it needs to be a bit of a lifestyle too. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. Um, tell us, uh, if, if you look back on your life so far, what, what's something unique or interesting, interesting about you that you've uh, never really said in public before? I'm actually a West Coast Swing dancer. I've been doing partner dancing. Uh, it's called West Coast Swing. I've been doing it for over 10 years, and I actually met my wife um, at West Coast Swing Dance Class. So there's something for those looking to meet others and learn uh, a dance style. I love it. The West Coast swing. Yes. Put some color around that. I'm not. I'm not. I've heard of swing, but not West Coast swing. What? What's so the it's, difference? It's um, you know the West Coast of America, but they you dance. It's a partner dance, but um, you do it to a lot of modern music, a lot of R and B, and anything you, you hear on the radio these days. So it's not the traditional bouncy kind of swing dancing. It's very modern, and um, it's quite fun to you know good community good place to meet people rather than you know just going going out and uh getting drunk trying to meet people kind of thing and uh yeah great thing to do are you still doing it now that we have a two-year-old baby it's a bit uh it's a bit hard to make time but we we do work around every now and then and we each take turn and try and go and get a bit of dancing yeah <laughs> Love it. There's, there's something about dancing that uh, just uh, it's a joy for the soul. I reckon uh, I don't do it often enough, but I uh, if if I'm in a, a funk, I'll of, often play, put on some of my favourite music, and dance around like an idiot in the kitchen, and uh, and I only do it for a few minutes, and I and I feel instantly better. It, yeah, uh, it just puts a smile on the inside. It's just also you know connecting with other people with partner dancing, but also remembering different moves dance moves and it really um it's an exercise for your mind and body i think yeah yeah totally agree now uh, if you sort of look back over your life so so far andy uh what sort of challenging event in your life do you think has brought about your greatest learnings and best changes i think um the learning or the the biggest event that led me to to where i am today is Back in 2015, when we were, me and my then 
uh, fiance, we were looking to buy a home in Sydney. And in 2015, the property prices were in Sydney were just going sky high. And it was it was a crazy time to be as is now. But <laughs> at that time, it was kind of the the peak of the of the boom. And we were looking for a long time, unable to really afford anything. In the end, we got a pre-approval for around 1.25 million. At that time, it was it, it was a lot for us to to afford. I, I'm pretty sure, even to, and to this day, it's it's a big amount to um, you know spend on a home. And we were all happy to you know be buying our home in Sydney. And when we saw the mortgage broker, I asked him, "What's what's interest only?" And he just vaguely brushed it aside and said that, oh, it's just something investors do to accumulate uh, investment properties and they think they're getting ahead. And I was just curious. I was like, oh, I, mean, I need to look into this a bit more. What exactly is it? Um, and then I didn't think much about it, but I went away to a, to a meditation camp for 10 days. It's a place where you just meditate and don't, don't talk to anyone or whatever. It was a great experience, but I came back with a bit of clarity and I thought, we're getting this massive loan that we can't afford. We can't do it. We can't afford this. And so I started looking online a bit dejected, like, you know, what can I, what else can we do? Um, and I came across um, a book called The Richest Man in Babylon. Now, it's um, it's an old, a really old little book that you can find online. And it it goes, it's about little, some fables that talk about, you know, timeless money concepts of saving, spending less than you earn, saving the rest and investing it in something that makes more money. And if you do it well enough, other people will give you their money to go and invest, um, you know, make more money for them. So like like banks. So um, I found that really eye-opening for me. And I, I, you know, I thought that maybe there's a better way. Maybe we can um, invest a bit and buy something a little bit cheaper to live in and sort of invest the rest. Um, I feel like that was a, a changing moment, a pivotal moment for me. And then I started educating myself on by learning on different property forums, speaking to different investors. It's been a bit of a journey, but I've just dived, you know, headfirst into it. Um, and I would like to share what I've learned with others so that they don't make the mistakes that many can make. Because, Bushy, you know, there's a lot of information available online. And in this day and age, you can, uh, it's easy to, um, it's an expensive decision to buy a, a, a property, you know, a 30 year loan. So you want, you want to get it as right as you can. Yeah. 100% agree. Before I get you to unpack your, your journey in a bit more detail around the property side, you, you mentioned meditation earlier and, and doing a meditation retreat. Uh, how, uh, beneficial has meditation been to your life in general and I'd, and I'd, and I'd say that giving yourself time to have that reflection to really think about that that 1.25 million dollar home loan as example and going no that's that doesn't feel right to me uh just making the space uh to allow yourself that thinking and feeling time uh, how is important has it been not only to that property exercise but to your life generally yeah, I think um, everyone knows, you know, with with all the media easily available uh, at every minute, you know, we are blasted with some or the other media. Um, taking that 20 days off, 10 days off in a meditation camp, really um, getting back to yourself, 
your own mind and, you know, clearing out the clutter that's there. It really helps. Some sort of meditation every day. It can just be going to the gym. But I feel like it really helps put the focus on what's important to you. And while it may sound like, you know, buying investment properties is sort of chasing money, and that's kind of far from the whole meditation lifestyle. But in reality, we are trying to make time for ourselves. So that's the biggest thing that, you know, that we can have biggest asset that we can have. So trying to buy investment properties so you don't have to uh, work well into your 70s and 80s in a job that you don't enjoy doing, um, you know, that's that's what it's about for me. That's what the investment journey is about. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Now, let's sort of dive full bore into your uh, property journey. Then you, you just talked about your switch from no, we won't put a massive noose around our neck with a dirty great home line and then, and then be on the treadmill for the next 20 years. But I'd, I'd love to sort of uh, get your thoughts around what were your initial fears and feelings of concern about investing in property before you decided to invest and, and what helped you overcome? Uh, this and other any other obstacles before you got into it yeah i mean as uh many people have, would have heard that sydney always goes up <laughs> and you know sydney is a safe property market everywhere else around australia doesn't doesn't do anything that kind of a thing so going out uh, when i started in back when in 2017 when i decided to buy investment properties I'd saved up a bit of money, but obviously not enough to buy investment properties in Sydney. So I had to look elsewhere. And I thought, what, what, being an accountant and a finance person, I was aware of my own finances. So I knew the kind of rental yield that I need to hold a property. So it's not just about buying a negative yield property and living on, you know, two minute noodles. So <laughs> I, I wanted something that at least looked after itself. So I decided after read, learning a lot online and from different people, I looked at Queensland and I looked at um, some of the properties in Brisbane. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is these properties are so much cheaper and the rental yields are much higher. But then back then there was talk about how it always floods there. There's always an excuse not to invest. Yeah. Um, and then family, you know, as much as they care about you, they can hold you back sometimes. So my mom was like, oh, you should buy this apartment in Maryland's. You'll do so well. So we actually went out and looked at properties in Maryland's and Western Sydney for properties that cost about 400,000 um, two-bedroom apartments. Um, but I couldn't, I, I wanted to buy something with a bit of land in it. I didn't want to buy a two-bedroom generic apartment when there was a, you know, 10 other apartment comp buildings around here. And I thought like, you know, this is, I don't know if this will do any any good. So I I went against those beliefs and I I decided to just take a stab at it. And I bought a property in Crestmead for 300,000, yep. a 600 square meter block, yep. um, four bedroom house. And I didn't buy the apartment, but between 2017 and 19, that property actually started to go down in value. And it was actually initially hard to rent out. And I was, I really kicked myself. I was like, did I do the right thing? Did mm -hmm. I make a mistake? But you never know because it's, it's a long-term game. It's not necessarily the first two years. So since then, those properties, if you look at them now, properties in Crestmead are over 500,000. Yeah. So I actually got a, I made a good buy in the end while 
um, two-bedroom apartments in Maryland, they're still around the 400, 450 mark. So if I had to buy that, I would be on a, you know, 4% yield while interest rates are now, you know, around five and a half, six percent And it would not be a good time I would, while the rents in Crestmead have gone up. My, my yield is around 7% now. So it's pretty much paying for itself. It's gone up in value by, you know, 200,000. So um, yeah, it was a bit of not listening to people who haven't done it but doing your own research and learning from people who have done what you're looking to achieve. So that was my first lesson there. Yeah. yeah. That's a, it's a really good one because uh, most people, and again, uh, there's a, a lot of uh, pre-investors or first-time investors who have, as you say, you know, Sydney always goes up. There's this perception that property values are going to always go up. But uh, I guess I'm old and crusty enough to know that there's a bit of an S-curve process with most areas where you'll see it. So you go up and then it'll actually come back five or ten percent and then then often flatline for a period before it goes through an ex growth spurt. Uh, the the key thing that, that I I'm hearing there is that you know, while the the property values going back was a bit of a shock, you didn't didn't react and then sell the property, which are, you know first time investors over fifty percent fifty percent of them sell their, their property within the first five years, and a lot of us because their expectations are, are wrong around what's likely to happen with property and haven't structured themselves well. What 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 gave you the courage to go? Well, okay, yes, the values are coming back a bit, but but this is a long term game. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to it. Yeah, if you look back at the history, like every city has had its time in the sun and eventually, you know, it gets back to that time in the sun. So it's not, you know, one market always going up or down. It Every place has its own cycle that eventually it catches up. It's called reversion to the mean. So eventually it does pick up in relation to all the other markets. And the, the other aspect there is the risks. So you need to know the risks involved, you know. So for instance, if you're, if the risk is, the property values might go down in this area. Okay. Um, so you've got to ask yourself, like, how would you mitigate this risk? Is it a mining town wherein, you know, it may never go back up? Yeah, that's a big risk. I'm not willing to take that. So I'll strike that up. But is it a town that's, you know, full of people, you know, it will eventually catch up again. Okay. That's um, something I, you know, I could look at. So um, the other thing you could look at is your, the yield that you require. Will this property cost you a lot to hold? That's a risk. It may cost you a lot. The interest rates may go up. So I bought a prop. The properties I've purchased have always had six percent rental yields at the start because I've been, I've been looking forward, not looking forward to, but I've been. Uh, I, I I knew that you know at some point the interest rates will go up. Yep. So I need to insulate myself against that. So that's the risk, and that's how you you mitigate it. Um, so the risk might be bad tenants. Well, you need to get your landlord insurance. You need to get a good property manager and buy in a pocket that has more owner occupiers. Yeah. You know, things like that. It's you know, There's always a reason not to invest, but I feel like if you just do your risk analysis and mitigate it, then and just do something and get in. <laughs> Absolutely. It's one of those games, like, like a lot of things, that you can do, and it's important to invest in your knowledge. There's no question about it. But there's no greater learning than actually doing it because that's when you're at the coalface, that's when you find out. Uh, once you've got your first property in Queensland, talk us through where to from there. And, and what I'd particularly be interested in is if you could unpack uh, what 
your criteria for, you've mentioned the 6% yield, what other criteria uh, and, and the percentage of owner-occupiers, what are the key things that you are looking for uh, at that stage and and did it change over time as as you added to your portfolio in terms of the the things that a property had to have before you were prepared to uh, look at it seriously? Yeah, so firstly, I would like to touch on a point that I missed over there. So with my first property that I purchased, um, I was, uh, you know, I used my finances smartly. So I'd saved up enough deposit for one property. Yeah. Um, and instead of using all my finances for as a deposit to buy in, in Crestmead, I used a parental guarantee. So my 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 mom already had some a lot of equity in her in her investment property in Sydney. So yep. she guaranteed me 20%. So that way I didn't have to pay any LMI or put down my own funds in that. And look, I'm not talking about, you know, using it to buy crypto here. We're we're buying property in a place where you know people want to live. So, you know, it was a, a safe decision and my mom was happy to help me out with that. So once I did that, I had my own deposit to then buy a second property, which I bought right away. So I bought those two properties within a span of two months. You okay. know? Yep. Yeah. So in terms of the second property, then I firstly, I wanted to diversify. I didn't want to buy in the same place. My second criteria was I wanted to buy in a city that hasn't already boomed. I don't know why, but I had these ideas that, you know, okay, catch the next one, not the not the train that's already gone, the next yep. train um, kind of a thing. So okay. I looked at Adelaide and um, by from everyone who I've spoken to, they said, why are you buying here? No offense to people in Adelaide. But... Oh, I'm, I'm an Adelaidean, by the way, Andy, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do love Adelaide. I've been there and it's a beautiful little, uh, little town. Actually, people call it a little town, but... I really like it there. But so I bought in a suburb called Smithfield. Now, yep. if you know, this is the in the Elizabeth. In the yep. <laughs> yeah. So this was very close, not very close, but in the area vicinity of the Holden plant, which yep. was at that time shutting down. And there was so much hysteria about, oh, you know, it's just going to go down. Adelaide's, Adelaide is just not going to go up again or whatever. But I didn't buy into that. I spoke to people who had invested there. And the reason I looked at it, the criteria, was I got a yield of 7.5% straight up, okay? Um, the buy-in prices, the price that I bought for was 185000 okay? And this was a massive block of 700 square meters. I did my research and I found a good pocket where, you know, I aligned with someone on the ground, a property manager who knew knew the area well. And so he pointed me to this um, little pocket where you only had owner-occupied properties. So, um, so one of the things he told me was look for a street where the houses are not subdivided. You don't have too many semis. So that was one way of you know telling which one's a good street or not. But um, um, so I I got that high yield of seven and a half percent. I got into a city that hadn't yet boomed, um, house on land rather than apartment. Um, and it was next to suburbs that had that were more expensive. So I didn't buy in the the most expensive suburb in that pocket, one that was slightly more affordable. So it had more room to catch up with the other suburbs. So that was my my thinking there. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And 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 has it performed that way? How, how's it performed? Uh, uh... Yeah, I should have got to that. Yep. So 
when I bought it, it was 185,000. You would struggle to find anything un- under around 350,000 now in that same area. Yep. And when I purchased, the rental yields was 7.2% or thereabouts. And right now, it's around 11.5%. So it has been <laughs> it has been one of the best performers for me. Like not in dollar terms, it doesn't sound like too much money. But look, it cost me around 35,000 to buy that property. That's all it cost me. And it's paying for itself. And now it's even, you know, putting more money in my pocket. So it's a win. <laughs> love it. I love it. Okay. So you were, with the success of Smithfield under the belt, uh, yeah. what was the what was the next step? And and talk to me about how did your investment strategy change at all as you went through this process? Was there an evolution in your thinking around it? Yeah. So I did. So after buying the second property, we took a bit of a break and did, you know, personal things like uh, settling down, all those kind of things. And then around COVID time, you know, when uh, property was back in the news and we were kind of done with our with our home and all of that, we looked at property again. Um, And this time I came across uh, a person named PK Gupta. And initially I was very suspicious about, you know, because there's a lot of gurus out there and property is largely I don't know, unregulated where anyone can give you advice. So I I watched some of his videos and I, I saw he came across a bit genuine to me. And I uh, I just dived in and I did his course and it actually gave me a, a system. So it, there were not too many, th- there were actually a few things that I already had right, that I was already doing right, but it clarified the whole process and removed the... Uh, analysis paralysis that I would normally go through as someone who analyzes things a lot. So gave me a bit more direction in the sense, now my philosophy has changed. Previously, it would be buy what you can afford when you can afford. So you you need to be able to afford to not just buy it, but hold it as well. Exactly. Cash flowing. But but now it's not just buy what you can afford when you can afford, but also in the right market that's ripe to grow. So there's an underlying demand and supply that I learned to, um, you know, to read a bit more. Love and, it. Uh, Love it. Yeah. And, and I know PK is a, a great data guy. Yeah. Are there any uh, particular uh, data sources that have, have really uh, driven your decision making since then? You're happy to share with us? Yeah. So um, I do use a few different data sources. Um, like DSR uh, data, we use um, a lot of that. Um, you know, there's a lot of information available um, on the census website, the ABS um, website. Um, SQM is a great one, which shows you, you know, vacancy rates, things like that. Um, yeah. Apart from that, just realestate.com. Previously, realestate.com used to have a heat map that showed you. Which yeah, suburbs. it did. Yeah, I yeah. enjoyed that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and they got rid of that now. But um, that's a good one to um, realestate.com is a good one. And I, I always like to check out, um, you know, which properties have been sitting on the market for long. That's a little trick I use. Kind of, uh, I rearrange the order on realestate.com. Yes, and so I, do I. I yeah, I do the so same. Which, yeah, which properties have been sitting on the market for long, and I try and get get in on those properties, and you know, put my bid in, kind of thing. Yeah. Love it, love it. So, so you, uh, once you took the break, can you talk to us about uh, your, you know, what properties where and why? Uh, yeah. 
post-COVID? So after after doing uh, PK's course, um, I had a bit of clarity and uh, the clear winners in terms of demand and supply at that time were Western Australia yeah. and Queensland, but yeah. not just Brisbane, other parts of Queensland too. So I, you know, looking at all the data metrics, they were all lining up. The demand was there from a point of, you know, we, I I purchased the first property. I looked at, at that time, a lot of people, I mean, Rockingham is a bit of a hotspot right now where every man and his dog are jumping in. But uh, it was back then as well, but it was just starting out. But I looked one, um, you know, LGF further out. I looked at the Mandura region further yes. south. And I looked at a suburb called Hall's Head. And um, I saw there was less competition there. Um, And I managed to purchase a property for 390,000. Now this property is like, you know, a 700 square meter block, four bedroom, but it is 800 meters from the water. And that's amazing value. You could never like Eastern uh, states, people from Eastern states would (laughs) really know what I mean. Such good value. Um, And it rents out for 500. Actually last week I had a, rents go up a bit so it was it's you know 500 on a purchase price of 390 that's 6.4 percent yield right from the start and if you look at that suburb now you wouldn't find a four bedroom for less than 550,000 yeah and this is this is um a little over a year later so I bought that in Feb 2000 um 2021 22 sorry last year yep yep yeah Right. So, and, so, so that that's the uh, that's your portfolio as it stands. With were there any other purchases over that one? Oh yeah. So after buying that property, <laughs> I was a bit uh, confident on the data, and I since I'd already pulled out a lot of equity. So we had our home refinanced, and we um, had a bit of equity sitting there, which we used then um, as a deposit to buy another property in Perth, in the suburb called Huntingdale. So I bought a um, a three bedder, but it's got a lot of different living spaces that can be converted into another bedroom. Yep. Um, and this one's in a suburb called Huntingdale, which is twenty kilometers from the city. It's not yep. it's it's not a flash you know area, but it's just um, good value. I bought that for three sixty two thousand. Yeah. And um, it might look it hasn't been the best performer, but right now the way the Perth market is heating up. Uh, early, sure. early days, very early days yet. Uh, yeah, uh, Andy. So uh, the, the very smart purchaser there. Yeah. So if you if you summed up your investment strategy now in terms of what is your strategy, where is it going to get you to, and therefore what type of uh, property strategy and financing strategy you're adopting that's going to get you there. Um, my strategy has been more of a buy and hold yeah. um, strategy. I haven't been an active, you know, active in developing or doing too much to the property because I I focus on other things, um, you know, just with my baby and my with our family and things like spending time with our family and also helping clients, those kind of things. So I haven't had the time to active be active with my investments. But in future, I do plan to, um, you know, look into starting, you know, developing a little bit, maybe starting with some subdivision because the blocks that I purchased all have the, the potential. Um, so, yeah, I haven't uh, thought too much into the rest of it as yet because I'm still um, I'm still increasing my asset base. So yeah, I've cool. still got 
equity and uh, borrowing capacity to buy more properties with land. Right. I, I think you, you make a really good point there because uh, I, I often say to people what you invest in and how you invest should align with the amount of time that you can dedicate to not only the initial exercise but the ongoing process. So if you don't have much time, then taking on a property development, for example, would be high risk because if you don't have the time and you're then having to find the time, that's when you make mistakes. And, uh, you know, I've often said, Andy, that, you know, if you're going to invest, uh, you shouldn't be creating a second job when you do it. Part of, part of investing is to actually give you time back ultimately down the track so you can put that energy into things that are really important to you, like like your family and your friends. So uh, I think you make a really good uh, really good point there. Now, uh, sort of jumping to the future, then I'd love for you to share and perhaps paint a bit of a, a word picture for us of uh, your life vision and what your ideal lifestyle looks like. Um, a bit of a, a you know a cliched answer here, but I, I think uh, I'm really happy with where our lives are at the moment. Um, having grown up in you know, in in Dubai and lived in in Asia, I feel like we are so lucky here in Australia to have these opportunities that we do. And uh, I'm just really thankful for the way my life is right now. And in future, I do see myself someday cashing out of uh, of Sydney and moving to a, a regional town somewhere. So buying something half the price, wherever that may be, and sort of investing, selling our investment properties. Um, paying off the loan and whatever's left over, probably, you know, buying some ETFs or some, you know, vanilla shares that just pay dividends. And yep. I don't see myself completely retiring because I just like what I'm doing. So I'd probably still be working, but I think it will just be such a, a bit of a flexibility, maybe maybe work overseas for a, for a few months, that kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. And the in terms of where your portfolio is at and where it's projected to be, do you have a sense of uh, the sort of size of asset base that you are going to need to create to uh, generate that lifestyle? Yeah, so I'm looking at an asset base of four million is what I'm aiming aiming to have yeah. um, at the moment. Yeah. So we're working towards that, and we we're getting there. Um, but then we yeah we do have to sort of cash out and pay off the existing debt. But the good thing about uh, Sort of most bad things with inflation, but the couple of good things is that the loan size doesn't go up. It stays right. the same. So yeah, exactly, uh, no, exactly. Uh, no, I love that, mate. That's uh, I really appreciate you sharing that. If you if you look back so far, uh, and it's not this is not just related to property, but what what's been your best and your worst investment, and what what have you learned from each of those? Um, I think the best investment not just um i mean property but just investing in educating myself to be honest the time that i invested in it um at the time i didn't really think that um i didn't start with a, a big goal i started small but just having the time to read and understand um what what's involved in it that way now when i when i speak to you know you may go to a professional a mortgage broker or whoever but you need to be across what what you're getting into because it's a, a 30 year loan you're buying a, a, a high value high price asset you need to know what you're getting into more than others even if you get a buyer's agent um the buyer's agent will find you a property in a particular area but you need to decide if you want to buy in that 
particular area first. Yes. So I think um, the saying that no one cares about you more than yourself, that's that's an important thing. So I've spent my time educating myself so I so that I can eventually have more time to spend with family. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So you, given the journey that you've gone on and you're now th- through your uh, broking business helping other investors uh, on their journeys, what what do you believe are the keys to successful investment and why then, Andy? Well, the key to successful investment, I would say, is firstly to, to take a step and actually invest because um, oftentimes we get bogged down with all the details and every all the information available and we just don't make a move. I think we're also, um, I've been brought up, you know, to think that loans are bad, you know, you should not owe money to anyone. And while that's that's good in in some senses, but when it comes to investing, leveraging is actually your friend. So there's a good debt and a bad debt. So if you buy, if you leverage and you buy a car, you're buying something that's going down in value. Yep. But if you're buying if you're buying a house, something that people need to live in, um, that's good debt. So I don't think it's something to be afraid of. It's something that we need to understand the risk and mitigate the risk. And but it's important to take action. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, if you if you look at the the qualities and character traits that separate great investors from the rest but what are they as as you've experienced so far um i would say great investors have a system yeah and they've developed this system um you know through through their own experiences or through you know people that they've learned from yeah but they they take the action and they kind of um Sorry, that's no, good. No, you're absolutely spot on, mate. And, and I'm, it's good to take the time to reflect, uh, and because you've you've had the experience yourself, you've seen a lot of others that are, are going through the process. Uh, you you met, you've mentioned a couple of times during our discussion the analysis paralysis exercise, and that can be very dangerous because uh, if if you're risk averse and you're conservative and you're looking for excuse not to do anything, uh, if you do enough analysis, you'll talk you talk yourself out of everything. Uh, so uh, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. Yes, you've got to use data. You've got to use the right data. But ultimately, uh, you've got to take some action. And uh, just as you've said uh, a couple of times during the discussion so far, uh, you know, I sense that you're almost a little bit of a contrarian. And I think you know most of the successful investors in the world are contrarians. They're, they're, they're swimming against the tide. They're seeing, seeing things that the, the masses aren't. Uh, and, you know, the old Warren Buffett is a classic contrarian and, uh, you know, he's got a thousand quotes around that very subject. So I, I think you've summed up that up really well. If, uh, but if, we, if you reflect back now uh, on, on your journey so far, then, Andy, uh, if you were starting out again, would you would you invest any differently? Um, if I was starting out again, I think I would um, I would go a bit harder. I think everyone who um, looks back and and you know they always think that oh i should have bought some more so i feel like i i'm naturally a safe player so i played it a bit too safe um my one of my regrets was when i bought my second property in adelaide i was looking at hobart at the same time um back in 2017 and um i didn't end up buying there because i thought it was 
it was an it was an island and it's better to be on the mainland in Adelaide. You know, it's just it wasn't based in any data or, or anything else, but just my fear. So I feel like if I'd gotten gone a bit harder then, um, I would be a little bit ahead in my journey. Um, but overall, I feel I've, I'm in a good place. And um, yeah, taking action has been the best thing and investing in property. I mean, I got my my wife, who's even more conservative than me, but <laughs> I remember um, the way I got her on board was um, she asked me what I wanted for my birthday and I asked her for a couple of investing books. So she got the the barefoot investor <laughs> is is what she what I what I asked her to get me and she read it before she gave it to me and then when she handed it to me she was like by the way you should read this book it's really good <laughs> what are we going to do now kind of thing <laughs> so she was really on board um, so yeah I love I feel it. like yeah that's a good way to get family on board as well <laughs> and, and and that that another really important uh, uh, point there I think Andy. Because uh, I, you, you would talk to a lot of mum and dad investors, I'm sure, and and I don't know about you, but in the years that I've been assisting investors in that regard, unless both parties are on the same page, it invariably ends in tears. So it's really important, I think, for both partners to at least have one party might, might be much more into it and go to a lot more depth than the other. But if you're not having the conversations around what it means, where it's leading to, and at least having that basic information and understanding, that's often where some of the uh, self-sabotaging can occur. So uh, another brilliant point there. So, And that's a nice sort of segue because what I'd love to do now, Andy, is dive more into the, the financing exercise and how important finance is uh, to your success in property. And to sort of set the scene for that, what are the biggest mistakes that you've seen that people make around borrowing money to invest in property? Most people look at, you know, they're swayed by um, by things like depreciation benefits, but they don't they don't see the big picture as in you're you're buying an asset, an overpriced asset. Like the other other houses in the same suburb might cost a couple of hundred thousand less than what you're paying, but you're buying it because it has depreciation benefits of 50,000 over its life. So people don't see the entire picture and they're lured by some of these things. So it 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 means that they take out a massive debt for an asset that over the long term probably is okay, but has not done anything great. You know, it hasn't grown as much as you could have. And then you've you've used all your borrowing capacity on one asset rather than you know diversifying into different markets that could have grown could have grown a lot more and you know in investing it's always good to diversify your risk as well 100% any other common mistakes that you see uh, uh, people making around the particular the financing aspect well you know there are different tiers of lenders and people um are sometimes stuck with just the big four and they think that they can't um they can't borrow anymore. They're too afraid to go with um, the other lenders. Yes, some of the smaller lenders right now, you know, their interest rates are high. Um, and borrowers probably just, they're stuck on interest rates more than anything else. But the borrowing capacity is also important because, you know, the interest rates will change over the next year. The next few years, it'll go up, down, sideways. But you're buying, it's enabling you to buy an asset right now. If, you, if you're able to get in, buy an asset over the long term, the rents will go up as well. So 
you know, don't don't focus so much on just the interest rates. Look at the overall package of, you know, how much you can borrow and what you can do with that. So what we do at On Fire Finance is also give people a bit of a plan in the sense, you know, you can buy a property worth, say, 500000 but you need to tr- try and target a rental yield of so-and-so, so, you know, 500 say, so you can keep buying the next one and, you know, you can manage to hold it. That sort of a thing. So people don't put that thought into the entire process. Yeah. I 100% agree. And, I, 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 you know, you're absolutely right. That for some reason, that whether it be home buyers or investors, they focus on rate. And, it's, and I often say it's not rate, it's reach that's important because, as, as you would know better than I, there's about a, a 55% variation across the, the different banks and lenders in terms of how much you borrow. Now, that's the difference between being able to, to get a loan for 500000 and 750000 And in terms of the asset base, if, you, if you're, you're, you're securing an $800,000 property versus a $550,000 property, and they both grow at similar rates over the long term, you're going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars in front in terms of your nest egg at the end of the journey. So I 100% agree with you there. It's focus on capacity. Your biggest asset as a borrower is the, is the capacity. So uh, don't get suckered into uh, going for the, the rate or the safety of the big four. There's 40-odd lenders out there, and they all have uh, very different ways of looking at borrowing capacity. Uh, the question that, they, that investors all need to be asking their brokers or the banks is, how much can I borrow? Because uh, investment debt's tax deductible, so the difference. And, and if we're only talking, uh, you know, a few small uh, percentage points in relation to the the rate, uh, then the capacity has a much bigger impact, Andy. So uh, you make a, a really important point in that regard. Yeah. Uh, just around that, because I, you know you'll be seeing this, I'm sure, at the moment, because with with the rapid rate rise in rates, and you know. I've, it rules of thumb for every one percent increase in the the rate, it reduces uh, how much you can borrow on it for an average borrower uh, around about a hundred thousand dollars. So we've seen three point seven five percent increase in rates. There's three hundred seventy five grand less that the average average borrower can get their hands on. Uh, what suggestions would you be making uh, to uh, potential in- investors at the moment in relation to optimizing their borrowing capacity and and overcoming that that growing hurdle actually? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, at the end, it comes down to your income and expenses. So have if you if you're already an investor, like, you know, have you checked your existing rents? You know, um, is there any room to increase that? Um, there are also some. So the way lenders look at your expenses is there's something called household expenditure measure. So each lender has a different level of household expenditure measure. And there are some expenses such as private health insurance private school fees, um, strata, these expenses are added on top of the household expenditure measure. So for instance, if a lender's HEM is 4,000, but you spend only your household expenditure per month is only 2,000, but you have private health insurance, private school fees of another, you know, 500, they're going to consider your expense to be 4,500 because they, they just take the, the minimum hem plus they add all these extra expenses on so reducing that reducing your credit cards those are big ones and i would also like to add that from the first of june um the hex debts are going to increase 
by 7% this year. Wow. So it's it, there's they don't charge you interest on hex but it's adjusted based on the inflation. So for this year it's 7%. So if anyone has a hex debt there, maybe you know if you're able to do consider paying it off um if you're looking to get a home loan because this also you know reduces your borrowing capacity. But it all comes together. So speak to a good mortgage broker and get a good idea of the entire picture of yeah. what what you know what's hindering you. But I'd like to add to um to your listeners that property investing is for everyone. So it's not it's not that you need the biggest amount of money to get into it as I did myself, you know, I just found found a way to found a market where I could afford to buy. But I did my research. I was still a bit you know, I had my requirements, but you know, I I bought interstate or you know, I use a family guarantee if that's available to you, not yep. available to everyone, but there are ways you can still do it without having to eat two minute noodles. Yeah, spot on. That's a, a really good advice there. Now, something that that I, I'd seen is really inhibiting a lot of uh, ongoing property purchases, whether it's owner occupiers or investors at the moment, is a three percent servicing buffer that uh, APRA has imposed on all the banks. And while I acknowledge that it was it's really relevant when when the cash rate was down at 0.1 percent, now that we're we've got uh, rates back to where you know that around where the long term average is. What's your thoughts on the three percent and the appropriateness of the three percent servicing buffer and 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 the impact that this is having on investors' capacity? Yeah, so I mean, it was uh, appropriate at the time because interest rates were were so low and the market was really um, uh, hot, red hot, inflated. But right now, as you know, everyone knows it's it's too high. So if you're if the actual interest rate is five percent or six percent, for example. Um, the lenders actually assess your borrowing ability at nine percent. So there's not many that you can. There's not a lot you can buy at that at that rate. But some relief for refinances at the moment. Um, lenders are in talks with APRA to be able to refinance um, home loans and investment loans, like for like, and they they will um, reduce the buffer from three percent to one percent. Yeah. just for like for like refinance yep. so st george has come out now and westpac have come out and reduced their buffer rate to one percent um resimac has also reduced theirs yep. so th- there are some options available and hopefully other lenders will come on board as well yep. um and if you're if you're stuck in a tight situation and can't afford it um you might be able to refinance but you know if you are stuck in that situation that's really tight then it's not going to reduce anytime. The rates themselves are not going to reduce right now. So at, make sure you can at least hold on for for a year. Yeah, 100%. No, really, really good advice. Uh, and, and another good reason for listeners to be reaching out to a, a good investment savvy mortgage broker like yourself, uh, because uh, it's a, a, a moving feast when it comes to uh, the way uh, lenders approach. So it's not a, a set and concrete exercise. Banks are changing their policies uh, almost every week. So uh, it, well worth asking the question. Uh, sort of coming back to the investment exercise to round off the conversation on on this, Andy, uh, where do you think people need to start with investing and, and what are the initial steps they need to take if they're, they're sitting here listening going, yeah, I, I need to be doing something in the investment space? What are your thoughts around that? 
Well, I guess the first step with uh, investing is knowing what you can afford to buy. So there's two things to that. What can you afford to borrow and what can you afford to hold? So um, on my website, I have a little uh, investment forecasting tool that um, I use personally. So, you know, you can put in all your expense income and it shows you if you bought a property worth 500,000 and, you know, a rental yield of 5%, how many properties can you afford to hold at the end of the day? Would you go in negative or would you have any cash left over? So those two things, speak to someone who can give you a bit of a plan and help you maximize, you know, um, what you can actually achieve with your current financial situation. So not just the one property, but the end goal and how you can get there. Someone who'll work with you on that. Um, I feel like that's a good start. Um, then researching areas, uh, you know, there's so much data available right now, and it's only going to increase the data-driven approach to property investing. Um, you know, reach out. To, there's people like PK Gupta, who I've had personally had great experience with. Um, you know, speak to people who have done what you're looking to do, and don't don't um, get stuck on fixed ideas such as, you know, I just need to buy in Sydney. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, taking that borderless approach uh, uh, from a diversification perspective, but an opportunity perspective is a is a really good one. Uh, great thoughts there, uh, Andy. Now, I'd, I'd like to sort of shift into what I affectionately refer to as the ambush fast four. Andy, or the bush, bushfire lightning round, where I ask you the, the four four questions, I give you a blindfold and a cigarette, and we we jump in. So to kick that off, what's your favourite quote and why? Right. So uh, someone once told me, like, if you if you want something really bad, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. Um, that's that's one that I, that someone told me a while back, and it's quite true. You know, I feel like um, sometimes you don't want the, the things you don't want to do, but uh, and you subconsciously put it off, and then you say, "Oh, I was just too busy, or I just didn't get the time." But really, if you wanted to, you would. So I find that um, a quote that's um, true. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really good one. Uh, moving into the literary field, and you, you've mentioned a couple of books during our discussion already, but w- what's the top book that you'd recommend we read and why? Um, I think the, uh, the Richest Man in Babylon, which I, which was the first little book that I read, it's not really that big a book. <laughs> you could probably p- find the PDF online. It's such an old one, though. It's an interesting read, and it, it's more of a mindset change that it leaves you with. Um, and as I'd mentioned, like it's not you know, trying to save money and changing your financial habits, it can't be like a diet. You can't just force it on yourself and go hard. It needs to be a mindset change. So reading something like that might help you with it. Um, If you have problems saving um, money, I feel like the Barefoot Investor has some good advice. Some of it is... uh, you know, he's very anti-property. I was going <laughs> to say, like yeah, my only criticism, I've read the book, myself, I've got a copy, but my only criticism there is that because Scott Pape is a financial planner and financial advisor and therefore can't talk about property, he actually poo-poos property. And but my own belief is you need to have a diversified portfolio across property, shares, super, the, the whole exercise. So, yeah, the, the only negative out of that exercise, I think, is that he probably... Uh, is slightly a bit too negative on the property side. Yeah. Uh, but there are some, as you say, some really good savings fundamentals uh, in that book in terms of getting into good money habits. So I think that side of it and having the the open conversations around the kitchen table or and, and whatnot, there's some really, really good 
uh, money habit stuff in in that exercise. Uh, so I know yeah. that really good tip on that. Um, uh, yeah, go I on. would actually like to um, to say like you know I'm not property investing. I I think is really safe and the the I mean. As I mentioned before, my exit plan would involve investing in some vanilla shares because you don't have to deal with people too much, <laughs> uh, you know, so a little less headaches there. But property is the best vehicle to use other people's money to invest. You know, you 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 can leverage safely and buy property and the bank's not going to chase you for their money back um, as long as you keep making the repayments. Um, you're good. So that's a very safe, unlike shares, if you try and leverage into shares, the value of the shares go down, you're going to get a, a call. Margin and that's going to be really margin call. That's going to be really quick. And they're going to sell off your shares. So that's one of the main reasons why I favor property as an investment vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Really good advice. And I mean, I, I've been there. I've had a margin call. Uh, I used to trade CFDs before I got into property many years ago. And that, that was a, a, a very scary roller coaster ride. Uh, but and I've done some numbers on this, uh, uh, Andy. Um, in terms of bang for buck, uh, property will potentially give you three and a half times uh, the equity and asset base opportunity that you'll get in shares, uh, even on a lower growth rate. Uh, you so because you're using the bank's money to do it. And 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 here's a really important point I think that uh, people need to uh, think about. And that is if, if the fact that banks will still lend 90 to 95% of, a, of the value of a property. And let's face it, banks are made into making big profits, not just, and then they're never into losing money. The fact that the banks uh, see uh, property as a safe haven in that context is a pretty good indicator that it's a, a pretty good place to be putting your money. So versus a margin loan, which might be 50 or 60% of the value of the shares, that or from a risk perspective and a risk management perspective, uh, it's giving you a pretty clear sign that property is a pretty safe place to be, be putting your hard-earned coin. So that's great. Now, um, uh, next question on this one is, well, what's both the worst and the best piece of investment advice that you've ever received, Andy? Um, the worst would probably be uh, from my mom to buy a two-bedroom apartment in Maryland's. I'm glad I didn't do that. I mean, it, was, it was, wasn't that bad, but it just... Yeah, I'm glad I did. <laughs> yeah. The best advice was from someone on an uh on a property forum and she said buy what you can afford when you can afford. And uh, don't take it in the literal sense as in, you know, buy whatever. Do some more research, but you know, when you can afford as in we always look back and we think that oh, I should have bought back then. Like, you know, even even now that the rates have gone up, I'll tell you I probably can't qualify to buy the last property that I did, you know, if I try to buy it again, I wouldn't be able to do it. So I'm glad I did back then. So that's why, you know. That's great advice. I've, I've been saying for a long time now, it's it's never a matter of when because the be best time is every time you can afford to. And, and when I say afford, it's not the purchase price, it's the ongoing holding cost. That, that's the important piece there that you've already reinforced earlier. But it's always about what and where. So, because uh, time, as you and I both know, time is the the biggest shifter on top of compounding that has an impact on the the outcome for property. So, uh, I'm certainly a big advocate of that. Uh, final uh, question in the ambush series: What's a personal heavy habit that you employ that's contributed most to your investment success today? 
Um, personal habit that's helped me. I think I just have an addictive personality, to be honest. So once I started reading about property, I just kind of jumped into it and just kept reading. Like to a point, my my wife was, you know, a bit like, oh, why is he researching property? She didn't want to talk to me about property anymore. The last two properties when I uh, when I was you know looking to buy them, I would be like, oh, check this one out, check this one out at the dinner table, and she was so sick of me. So that's been uh, that's a bit of a personality trait um, that helps and also hinders sometimes. <laughs> I'm right with you there. I yeah, uh, I, I call it property porn, uh, basically because I'm I'm my. my uh, free time i'm sitting there scrolling through realestate.com or domain.com and just just constantly looking at properties and it it, it it's it becomes a it's sort of a healthy addiction but but uh well it's a fun addiction anyway but uh i understand exactly what you're saying there now awesome mate. look i really enjoyed our great conversation today and as we sort of bring it to a close what what are your key takeaways and actions that aspiring investors uh, need to take andy I'd like to just say that, you know, do your research and take action. Don't be bogged down, you know, into over-analysis. There are so many options available. Time will heal most things. So just, you know, take some action. <laughs> Love it. Absolutely beautifully said. Okay, well, uh, for those in the audience that have really resonated with your message today, Andy, uh, how can listeners find out more and get involved with you and perhaps tap into the uh, property investment forecasting tool that you spoke about earlier. Yeah. So you can uh, check it out on my, on my website on firefinance.com.au, or you can look me up on Instagram. I'm trying to be a bit more active. Um, um, Andy Fernandez on Instagram, or, you know, you'd find my details on my website, get in touch if you would like to have a chat and see, you know, what's possible with your current financial situation. Awesome, Andy. Look, uh, really enjoyed our chat, mate. I uh, think this will be the start of many more. Uh, so I'm really keen to keep the conversation going and uh, want to thank you for being so generous with your time on the show today. Thanks for having me on, Bushy. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for tuning in to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel, your home for property investment insights and inspiration. And don't leave yet until you've taken the next step towards living by design. By getting my award-winning book, Get Invested, absolutely free when you sign up at knowhowproperty.com.au or bushymartin.com.au. And finally, make sure you subscribe to Property Hub to get your weekly dose of Get Invested inspiration along with every episode of Realty Talk, Australia's leading property show for red-hot property investing news and insights, direct from industry leaders and influencers. Remember to always get invested in your knowledge, and I look forward to seeing you next time.